I'd like for you to take your Bibles and turn with me to to the book of Galatians, uh, chapter 1 and verse 6. We are continuing into a study that we are doing uh, on the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom, and namely, we are looking in the next couple of weeks at the truth of the gospel, or some could call it the doctrine of the gospel, and I don't let that word scare you. I'm not going to get all... um, gospelese on you and all theological freaky you know we're not doing that but it is doctrine that is important it is a foundational thing but out of the truth or doctrine of the gospel comes a gospel culture that is something we'll be looking at in a few weeks and from a gospel culture that permeates every piece of our lives together eventually begins to come gospel interactions and gospel influence and gospel conversations. And so you can look forward to those kinds of discussions over the next number of weeks and probably even after Advent where we'll take a break and look at that, maybe even into January. I'd like for you to look at Galatians 1 and verse 6 and see what Paul had to say to this church in Galatia. I am astonished. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. What is this different gospel? Not that there really is another gospel. And what is it exactly that people are doing to this church, in this church, in Galatia, that is distorting the gospel of Christ? And could it happen here? Could it happen in our day? Is it pertinent to us in this time? Is the the thing that he is so astonished about, is it possible today? Paul gives some context to this church in Galatia in the first two chapters of this book where he talks about his own story and he he tells his story a lot. You you see it in scripture. Paul was the writer under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that wrote the majority of the New Testament that we have. And in many of his writings, he's telling his own story how at one point, He was opposed to the gospel. He was actually going about persecuting those who believed in Jesus Christ. He was arresting them and hauling them before courts. And he was seeing if they could be put to death for their their waywardness against Judaism. And Paul was a persecutor of the church until Jesus interrupted him. And when he did... It was an encounter that blew his mind. It knocked him to the ground. It was dazzling the the brightness that he saw. And Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, appeared to Paul while he was on the way to Damascus to actually persecute believers that were there. And Jesus stunned him and shocked him and stopped him cold. And Paul says that he went on and saved him by his grace and eventually called him into ministry to preach the very gospel that he at one time had been opposed to. It's fascinating the people that God picks. 
It's fascinating that he would choose someone like Paul who was, who was persecuting his people. Jesus said he was persecuting him, Jesus. It's fascinating that God would pick someone like that to not only save and redeem, but turn them around so much that they would be now no longer an opponent to the gospel. They would be one of the greatest proponents of the gospel. Have you ever wondered why God picked you? Yeah, me too. No, not of you. <laughs> I wonder why he picked me, and Jay wonders why he picked him. How's that? And you probably should wonder why he picked you, and yet he did. And if you don't feel that you're a part of Christ yet, if you are still searching this out, the fact that you're even wondering about it, the fact that you're even pondering and considering is a very good indication that God is drawing you, whether you realize it or not. That's what God does. He made this dramatic conversion of Paul, and he, he turns him from an opponent into a proponent, into an advocate, into a representative. He calls himself an apostle, one sent forth to declare the good news of Christ. He talked about it down in verse 11 of Galatians 1. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, for some of our ladies that are going through the Monday night Bible study with Beth Moore, well, Beth is not there. But she is by video, right? And they're going through a study in the book of Galatians and watching videos with Beth and working together. And on Zoom, they get together Monday nights. I've been listening in a little bit. I'm not a lady, but, uh, but it's really good stuff that they're talking about. And if you're a part of that study, you'll probably remember that when this phrase that is used, the gospel that was preached, what Paul said, the gospel that was preached by me, it's actually using the same word twice, uh, one in noun form and one in verb form. He, he says, the gospel, euangelion, which is, we understand that to be a noun, euangelion, uh, that was preached, euangelizo. It's the noun verb of the euangelion that has been pronounced. Commentator Richard Hayes says it literally means the gospel that was gospeled by me. And I love that. I, I, I love that, that it was good news that Paul was good newsing. <laughs> I wish that it could be said of me that the, the very thing I'm called to announce so fully embodies me that it's the very activity that I give myself to all the time. The good news that we're good newsing. The gospel that we are gospeling wherever we are. The story continues, and, and I'm trying to summarize. 17 years later, after Paul's conversion, three years in, he went to Jerusalem, but then continued ministry, and 14 years after that, he returns to Jerusalem to set with a group of what he calls influential people. I call them church influencers. Uh, they are influencers in the church and he goes to discuss with them this gospel that he's been preaching primarily to the Gentiles. 
to make sure, as he put it, that he's not been running in vain. And I love that because Paul, even though he has received tr- profound revelation from Jesus and He did not receive it from any man, he said, but from Christ himself. He still submits that process to the other leaders in the church. And he goes and he's talking with them. And and in this meeting, it's James, who is the half-brother of Jesus. And and Peter, who sometimes he refers to as Cephas, and also John. And these are consulting with him, and they come to this conclusion after talking with each other there in Jerusalem. 17 years after Paul has been converted and already been ministering, they can conclude that indeed, the gospel that Paul has been preaching is the very same gospel that they themselves had been preaching. So, problem solved. Shouldn't be a problem now, right? They concluded... Everything's kosher. (laughs) That's not a really good word to use right now. They concluded it's the same. Shouldn't be division. Shouldn't be controversy. But we all know the story didn't end there. Flip over to Galatians 2. Galatians 2 and verse 11. But when Cephas came to Antioch, that's the same person as Peter. Okay, just another one of the names for Peter. I'm not sure why he uses it. I have my theories, but I won't, I won't divulge those. Maybe he's trying to help him remember where he came from. I don't know. But when Cephas came to Antioch, now Antioch is where Paul was based out of. He and his, his, uh, his comrade in the gospel, Barnabas. And when, they, when Peter Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. I love that. To his face. It just means in person, all right? He didn't get up in his face, you know, like he's going to have a fist fight or something. It's just he did it in person because Peter stood condemned, Paul says. For before certain men came from James, he was, Peter was eating with Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Paul calls him out, and those that are with him, and those that are being led by him in this error, he calls him out for his hypocrisy. He challenges him in public, because Peter had done it in public. Peter has come to visit this church in Antioch, which is a thriving, healthy, missional, growing church. Fascinating to read about. The diversity there is phenomenal. Uh, I pray that the Lord helps us one day have the kind of diversity that they as a community had. And Peter's having a good old time with all of them. He is, he is just eating and drinking with the whole church. Jews, non-Jews, doesn't matter. But to the ordinary Jew, this kind of table fellowship is an abomination. It's scandalous because Gentiles are unclean. They are not to be eaten with. 
And furthermore, many Jewish believers in Christ were still demanding that Gentile believers keep the entire law of Moses and even get circumcised, which really cuts to the chase. I'm sorry, I just had to do it. Dad humor is very hard for me, and I, I just have to resort to it sometimes. So when this group that Paul calls the circumcision party, I, I love that too, that label. It's, <laughs> you know, uh, I don't know what Paul would call us. I'm scared to even think about it. But he calls them the circumcision party. He just, he just well, again, cuts to the chase and... He gets right to the issue of what they're demanding. And when this group shows up, Peter gets intimidated. He's afraid. He's run into this before. I don't have time to go through it. But he's already been in Cornelius' house and seen this vision that said that he should not call unclean what God calls clean. He has been messed with throughout his life and now even on this issue, and yet he still caves when others that are more demanding show up. He withdraws from the Gentile believers. He separates himself from them. And many that are, are, that are also Jewish follow him, including Barnabas. But Paul is having none of it. And he calls them out for their hypocrisy. This story is important to us, not because we have churches going around demanding people do what they were demanding. We don't have that group. Well, not that I know of. We don't have people asking for that kind of allegiance or adherence to a certain code of ethic or rule in order to be included, but do we? We sort of do, it's just not as overt. This story is critical to us today because it helps us see what is the truth of the gospel and what is not the truth of the gospel. And the only way that we're going to be representatives and reach this pluralistic, post-Christian, post-modern world that we live in is if we understand fully what the gospel is and how to stay in step with its truth. That is the core of who we are as God's people. And while the gospel is richly complex, profound enough to explore for a lifetime, it is also simple enough to tell a child. And at its very basic element, at its core, it is simply good news that God came to save sinners. The gospel is an announcement that God sent his son to save us from ourselves and the penalty of our sins. Both Jew and Gentile. And it is why Paul said to the Roman church, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That word power is dunamis. It's where we get our word dynamite. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the thing that dynamites you into a new place with God. It is a power that is beyond theoretical knowledge that you can have in your head. It is a power that blasts you out of your sin and your rebellion and brings you into the kingdom of God. It is the power of God. It is the power for salvation to everyone who believes. 
Now, you would think that with all of Paul's writings, and there are many more that allude to this, and throughout Scripture, good news is talked about. You would think with that that such controversies like what Paul and Peter, Cephas, had would no longer be an issue. (laughs) But you would be wrong. Because they have continually been an issue throughout church history. Just 130, 40 years after Paul, the ancient church father, Tertullian, he said this, just as Jesus was crucified between two thieves, so the gospel is ever crucified between two errors. What are those two errors? Well, I can tell you they are very much at work today, just like they were then. Those two errors are on the one side, what we might call legalism or moralism. And on the other side, it's what we might call a relativism or antinomianism. Now, those are just big theological words. Just think moralism and relativism. Or even think religion and irreligion. Both are a type of different gospel than the gospel that is the power of God, the dunamis. Those don't have the dunamis. They have all sorts of other trappings, but they don't have the power of salvation to everyone who believes. They're different, and they try to take away the very real distinction and power of the true gospel. Moralism stresses truth without grace, saying we must obey the truth in order to be saved, while relativism stresses grace without truth, saying we are all accepted as we are, and we all get to decide what is true for us. But truth without grace is not really truth. And grace without truth is not really grace. And that's why in John's gospel, Jesus himself is described as one bearing, one who is full of grace and truth. Tim Keller describes these things, and I tried to really write this myself, but I just couldn't come up with anything better than what Tim says. So he describes these two counterfeit gospels on either side of the real gospel that has the power, the dunamis, to explode you into salvation. These two counterfeits are on either side of the real gospel. First, moralism or legalism. He says, moralism is the view that you are acceptable through your attainments. Moralists do not have to be religious, but often are. And when they are, their religion is filled with rules, viewing God as very holy and just. This view will lead either to A, a self-hatred because they can't live up to the standards, or B, self-inflation because they think they have lived up to the standards. And it's very ironic when you think about it that these two extremes of this moralism come from the same root, moralism. But whether you end up proud because you think you can do it on your own or defeated because you realize you can't, you miss out of transforming power that the true gospel provides because your gospel rests in your own individual effort rather than his. Keller goes on to describe the other enemy, the other counterfeit gospel, 
as relativism. He writes, relativists are usually irreligious or else they prefer what is called liberal religion. On the surface, they are more happy and tolerant than moralistic religious people. Boy, that's true. Most moralistic people are very unhappy. They're cranky and not fun to be around. But the relativists are pretty easygoing as long as you don't challenge them on their own sin. Anyway, I digress. Although they may be highly idealistic in some areas, Keller says, they believe that everyone needs to determine what is right and wrong for themselves. They are not convinced that God is just and must punish sinners. Their beliefs in God will tend to picture him as loving or as an impersonal force. We have to remember that neither moralism or relativism is the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, not only are they not the gospel, they are enemies to the gospel. We simply won't get there with strict religious rule keeping or with permissive tolerance that anything goes, whatever feels good to you. Both are counter to the gospel of Christ. I want us to just close by going back to that verse 14 of Galatians 2. Because it paints a picture of what is required to avoid those two extremes, those two counterfeits on either side of the true gospel. Verse 14 says, But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. And then he goes on and says what he does. That phrase, their conduct, was not in step. It actually is one word in the Greek. And that word is orthopodeo which is where we get our English word orthopedic from. Interesting to me. It's in the context of needing to be straight-footed, that they needed to be having all their muscles and joints and tendons and ligaments working the way they should in order to be straight-footed. Now, some of you know that for the last couple of years, I have suffered with my feet. <laughs> my feet have caused me trouble. In fact, I tell the funny story of when Don and I went to Italy a few years ago and knew we'd be walking a long distance a lot of times. And I was frustrated with her because she had a pair of Payless sandals that weren't much more than a piece of plastic and a strap around her foot. And she was going to walk all over Italy in those cheap sandals. And I was worried for her, which is kind of, it's kind of typical of our story. I get concerned for her in ways that she's not concerned for herself. And I don't know why I don't learn. But at any rate, I'm like, Donna, you just can't do this. You've got to get better shoes. She just kept saying, it'd be fine, be fine, whatever. And I finally said, Donna, at our age, you have to take care of your feet. And it is really one of the mottos of my life. I'm serious. We have to take care of our feet. But what I didn't know is that I had a, a problem with my feet. They call it plantar fasciitis. Now, I, I in my southernness call it plantar, which is kind of like a flat tire, that, which feels right to me. But it's plantar fasciitis. Anybody here ever suffered from that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You, you feel my pain, don't you? Yeah. It's horrible. <laughs> 
I've been dealing with these things, and it hurts, and it makes me do things I wouldn't do otherwise, like wobble and stumble. And sometimes I walk side to side more than I walk front and back. And I realized when I was thinking about this that when Paul is saying, I saw that they weren't straight-footed, it's like something wasn't working right for them. Paul is saying about Peter and all of those that are following him into this error that they're not being straight-footed with the truth of the gospel. And it's causing them to, to stay out of step with the truth of it and to wobble and to stumble and to don't you dare hold up one foot, it's almost over. And to go side to side more than you go straight forward. And what Paul is calling Peter to do is to be straight-footed with the gospel. Don't fall for the error that's over on the right, the moralism and legalism that demands you do it according to rules, or the relativism, the antinomianism that says just whatever feels good to you is okay because God loves us and it's not a problem. Those are errors that we must avoid. Don't wobble to the left or to the right. Stay straight-footed toward Jesus and the truth of his gospel. Peter knew the truth of the gospel. He had confessed the truth of the gospel. He had defended the truth of the gospel. He had been persecuted for the truth of the gospel. But that didn't mean he was immune from deviating from the truth of the gospel. And if Peter is susceptible... I bet we are too. When the eyes of our heart are not looking straight ahead, then we tend to wobble. We tend to veer off. We tend to deviate. If Paul was writing to us today as a church, just like he did this church in Galatia, what would he say? What would he write? What would he pen towards our little church or uh, the church in Atlanta or the American church or the universal church around the globe? What would he say to us? Would he find a church that is walking in step with the truth of the gospel? Would he find our actions and attitudes as being straight-footed on the path of God's truth? Or would he find some of us camping out in the moralistic, legalistic camp where we think we're able to do it on our own or we find ourselves defeated because we can't? Or would he find some of the rest of us in the tolerant, relativist camp where just everything goes, there's no need for truth, it's just whatever feels good to you, God's word doesn't matter, he loves you. Is that what we're veering off into? Because that's danger too, and it's counterfeit, and it's not the truth. It does not have the dunamis that has the power to save those who believe. You can't get that up here. You have to get that in here. Your actions matter. Your life is a sermon People are watching. If you confess and follow Jesus, they're watching your life and your attitudes and you're instructing them whether you know it or not. You're teaching them. You're influencing them in light of your confession 
in light of what you believe, let's stop believing a different gospel. Let's keep in step with the truth of his gospel, the dunamis, the power of salvation for those who believe. Amen. I want to read a small portion out of Jude in the message. To those who are called, beloved by God, and kept for Jesus Christ. That's us. And then he says, dear friends, I've dropped everything to write to you about this life of salvation that we have in common. I insist, yes, I beg that you fight with everything you have in you for this faith. And in this particular section of scripture that you can use the word gospel there. So he's asking us to contend for what is true that we believe. So you're going to contend with everything you have in you for this gospel entrusted to us once and for all as a gift that we should guard and cherish. And this is God's way. He gives us courage and confidence by starting out with all that he does. He calls, loves, keeps. And then he says, so now I'm victorious. You go out and fight. You should carefully study meditate and build yourselves up in this gospel by praying in the Holy Spirit, staying in the center of God's love, keeping your arms open and outstretched with mercy from Jesus. This is the unending life, the real life. Go easy on those who hesitate about this gospel, but go after those who take the wrong way. Be tender with sinners and not soft on sin. And now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling over the gospel, to present you in his glorious presence without fault, without fissure, without having diminished or distracted from the gospel with great joy to our one God, our only Savior, Jesus Christ, Our master, he has glory, majesty, strength, and rule before all time, now, and forevermore. Amen. Amen. We're going to pray for us as a community. And as we're praying, if the Lord is speaking to your heart, I'm just encouraging you to do what Pete said earlier. Call out to him. You don't have to respond to us. But if God is speaking to you, if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, maybe you've never believed the gospel. You've never been dynamited into salvation. You've, you've thought about it theoretically. You've been around it occasionally. But you've never believed and had him explode you into it. Today's a good day to do that. 
After we pray and we get closed, we're going to give opportunity for you to come. We'd be happy to pray with you. Um, it doesn't require us to pray with you. All it requires is for you to believe and confess and believe that he's going to do what he said he would do. But maybe for some of us here today, we have veered, we've wobbled one way or the other. These are two massive enemies throughout history that have stood up against the truth of the gospel. And maybe we've lent, leaned towards permissiveness, tolerance, and oh well, it is what it is. And maybe we've leaned towards legalism and hard-nosed and demanding that everybody do it the way we can't even do ourselves. Regardless, if the Lord is speaking to you, today's a good day to repent of those areas. Call them out for what they are and ask the Lord to restore you. If you will repent, he will restore and you will become what he has you to be. So we're going to pray for us as a community. And while we're praying and singing afterwards, you consider what the Lord, the Holy Spirit is saying to you. Father, thank you for the eternal truth and power of the one gospel. And thank you for calling us to this moment to remember, to confirm, and to adjust. Your plumb line doesn't move. And so when we see it, we have to move. We have to move and be aligned. So Father, thank you for this opportunity to consider the gospel that we're living by. And whether we're walking that narrow path into your wide open spaces or whether we're making a path of our own and leading ourselves and others astray. Thank you that your forgiveness is sufficient. That when we confess, you are so incredibly faithful to forgive. It's because of you that we can even repent. So, Father, I ask that you would touch my heart and the heart of those here with your word of truth and grace that we would bend the knee, that we would bow our heads, and we would receive from you the real gospel, the gospel by which we can be saved, the only way to salvation, and that we would let go of any doctrine or preference that has clouded the gospel that we would be amended both in our hearts and in our lives by agreeing with you about what is true and by receiving again your saving grace and your ability to keep us in the way. I just hear the good news that he loves you. He loves us. He loves us.
loves us so much that he made a way for us to be with him. Don't refuse the love of God. Don't refuse the offer of his of his mercy and salvation. Don't refuse his spirit. As we go today into this week, may we be filled with the Holy Spirit, that same spirit that gave us the power to be saved. And may it quicken us. May it quicken the way we think and the way we speak and the way we love people aggressively, the way we reach out to them and draw them closer to what God has for them. May you go this week being filled with the power of God and and dispersing it everywhere you go like like a transmitter, like a receptacle that everyone can open the spigot and receive what God has poured into you today. That's what we need to have is his power, the dunamis, saving us and letting us share that with everywhere, everyone and everywhere we go. Lord, help us as we go and be that kind of people. That we would be those that are straight-footed in your gospel. That we are living out the gospel in our lives, but also living a gospel culture to those that are all around us. Lord, I pray for us as a church community that you'll, you'll help us, Lord, to grow up into you and to grow even with others that are coming to faith in Christ Jesus and making disciples of all those, teaching them the things you have taught us, living in your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed, but if the Lord is speaking to you, Please take the moment to draw on with someone. Come to the front. Reach out to someone that will pray with you. Don't leave without letting the Lord touch your heart. The Lord bless you today.